<laughs> that is one big pile of shit. Uh, this could be it. We may be in some multiverse where I don't even exist. Don't knock rationalization. Where would we be without it? Yes, yes. Yes, without the use. To take them, take them out, take them down. Do your, do your stuff. Life uh, finds a way. Hello and welcome to episode 46 of The Complete Works, a deep dive into the career and films of actor Jeff Goldblum. My name is Mike Smith and joining me on this journey into the wondrous world of Goldblum is my friend, co-host and fellow Goldblum maniac, Mike Tricia. How are you doing today, Mike? I'm doing great. It's uh, the snowmageddon snowpocalypse here in the Northeast. Uh, so that's a lot of fun. <laughs> OK, yeah, that is uh, fun. I've heard that was a kind of a crazy storm. You've had like a foot of snow in the last day, right? Yeah, basically it started last night and then I was like, maybe I'll go into work. And I woke up and it was still snowing this morning. And I was like, nah. yeah, <laughs> uh, <laughs> just went back to bed and then woke up at my work from home time. Uh, so I got to got to work from home today. Uh, we'll see. We'll see what the next few days lie uh, hold for us here. But what about you? Is it snowing in Montana? I assume it constantly snows from September 1st uh, <laughs> until June 1st. You know, that's what everybody told me about Montana when I was moving out here. And uh, from my experience, that has not been the case. Oh, that's good. Uh, at least. Yeah, oh, there you go. I mean, at least <laughs> from my experience, uh, just because uh, we've had pretty mild winters these last like three. I've been here three winters now, and like all three of them have been like much milder than I thought they were going to be. I thought this year might have been different because uh, in October we got we had like three snowstorms, not not crazy wow. storms or anything, but like, you know, it would snow a few inches here and like Octo and it was like back in October. I was like, oh, man, we're in for a crazy winter. Yeah. Uh, and we've seen a little bit of snow like here and there. Nothing to write home about. And now it's February and it's like 45 degrees out outside so wow yeah kind of weird uh, just <laughs> compared to what you guys are going through in new york uh and then here it's like oh i, I can wear shorts and that's fine <laughs> <laughs> you just need a sweatshirt and you'll be okay pretty much yeah so uh i think we're going to talk a lot more about uh, snow in our next episode uh, in the yes. podcast we're recording directly after this one mike uh so we'll, we'll table that conversation for now right now let's talk about some jeff goldblum movies oh yeah that's why we're here that is typically what we do on this podcast i will start with an anecdote uh, a few years ago go I was manning a booth at uh, Hudson Valley Comic Con for my radio station. Uh, and while I was there, which, by the way, remind me, I don't know if I ever told you this story. I won't say it, I won't talk about it on the air, but uh, remind me to tell you about the time I was kicked out of a strip club with one of these stars of an AMC reality show. <laughs> you uh, told me that story before. It's incredible. OK, yeah, fair enough. I don't want to throw it out there on the air and like, you know, all that stuff. But it is uh, it's a wild story. Yeah. So I was manning a booth at uh, Hudson Valley Comic Con for my radio station. And uh, while I was there, happened upon another booth that was selling used DVDs and Blu-rays for pretty cheap. And so naturally, I bought a bunch of stuff from them, uh, of course. most of which was stuff I hadn't really heard of before. I was kind of taking a chance on that kind of thing. Uh, this is like kind of right around the time I started really getting into Blu-ray collecting and stuff like that. So I was like, uh, anything I haven't seen must be an undiscovered gem. Uh, <laughs> which has turned out to not be the case in a lot of situations. Uh, one of these movies was a movie called Hellride, uh, which is a biker movie, uh, which I chose because it had Quentin Tarantino's name plastered all over it. Yeah. Uh, like on the cover and stuff, it was like Quentin Tarantino presents Hellride. You know, one of those things where he produced it, but really had nothing to do with the movie. But it featured a lot of people like Michael Madsen, uh, Vinnie Jones, David Carradine, Dennis Hopper was in the movie. And I was like, well, shit, I think this sounds 
kind of fun. I'm going to check this out. Uh, so I sat down to watch it, saw that it was written and directed by a guy named Larry Bishop and that Tarantino had produced this movie because Larry Bishop had made an appearance in Kill Bill as the guy who owns the strip club where Bud works in the movie. So that was the connection there and why Tarantino ended up making the movie. That was the first time I ever really noticed Larry Bishop's name. And I was hoping to find some kind of secret masterpiece when I finally watched Hellride. Uh, I did not. It is... <laughs> It's a pretty rough movie, basically incoherent, kind of an unpleasant one to watch. Have you ever heard of Hellride, Mike? Have you, are you familiar with that movie at all? Uh, I'm not familiar with the name, but while you were talking, I did a little Google and I do remember that cover at FYE. OK, so I've seen it, but I've like I've seen the cover art of the DVD and stuff, but I've never watched the movie. Yeah, but it is one of those like Quentin Tarantino presents kind of like a, the man with the iron fists, right? That was right. a movie he produced. And, you know, it's the kind of thing that Tarantino loves, like a you know weird exploitation ish biker movie or whatever uh it just completely misses the mark uh but so i I didn't really enjoy hellride and now thanks to this podcast i've discovered that larry bishop directed one other movie and it was much earlier in his career would this one be any better than hellride we're gonna find out as we discuss jeff goldblum in 1996's mad dog time you want to hear how you're gonna die holiday first i'm gonna shoot you in the stomach and then I'm going to shatter both your shin bones with two more bullets. And when you're almost dead, I'm going to blow your brains out. Um, I'm just going to shoot you once in the forehead and then go home. A life in crime can be crazy. Consider yourself back on the payroll. But with the head of the mob coming back... Vic is getting out. Vic is getting out. Vic's getting out. Things are really going to get... Insane. Vic's out of the funny farm. Yeah! Welcome home, Vic. Can you join us for a round of Thorazine? <laughs> it's funny. Send a thank you note to Jake Parker. And anyone who doesn't like it. I want you to be very nice to Ben, but if he gives you any trouble, shoot him. We'll just have to bite the bullet. Oh, no. But that's the way it's got to be, Ben. My way. Oh, no. Yeah, my way. Okay. United Artists Pictures presents... I thought you should know. Sleepy Joe. He got his brains blown in. In fact, he's dead. A story of power... It's mad dog time. Betrayal... You've been seeing Rita in the night and me in the day? Nobody two times me! Two times! And sex... I hope we don't crash! <laughs> you two times me two times! In other words... Thank you all for coming. The whole shooting match... What are my philosophy in life, I hear he's quick in the trigger. I hear the neck is quicker than Mick, and that Mick isn't as quick as Nick. I hate Nick of a Mick. <laughs> well, I don't have the people to kill me. Don't look at me, I just ran out of bullets. Alan Barkin, Gabriel Byrne, Richard Dreyfus, Jeff Goldblum, Diane Lane, Larry Bishop, Gregory Hines, Kyle McLaughlin, Burt Reynolds. <laughs> ben, go home, pack your bags. And leave town. Nobody tells me what to do. Ow! Ben, hop home, pack your bags, and leave town. Is that you talking, Vic? Or is it the medication? Ow! Ben, roll home, pack your bags, and leave town. So Larry Bishop 
is actually the son of Joey Bishop, uh, the comedian from the 60s who uh, was probably best known as a member of the Rat Pack alongside Frank Sinatra and Dean Martin and Sammy Davis Jr. and Peter Lawford, which makes this movie make a whole lot more sense uh, yeah, <laughs> after, yeah, yeah, yeah. You, after you know that info. Uh, so they appeared in a few movies together, performed on stage together, all that stuff. Uh, the Bishops lived in Beverly Hills, and Larry Bishop ended up attending Beverly Hills High School in the 60s, uh, which is a high school that, as you might imagine, cranked out a lot of people from famous families who went on to have successful careers, including our very own boy, Nicolas Cage, uh, also an <laughs> alumni of Beverly Hills High School. That tracks. Yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> um, so Larry Bishop was going there with two of his good friends, Rob Reiner and Richard Dreyfus. Uh, what a trio <laughs> that must have been. That also uh, tracks. Yeah, he and Rob Reiner briefly worked together as writing partners for a bit in the 70s, but it's the Richard Dreyfus connection that brings us to Mad Dog Time because Richard Dreyfus is not only one of the stars of Mad Dog Time, uh, he's also one of the producers. Uh, the movie opens with Dreyfus James Productions. It's like one of the first studio logos you see. Uh, so this movie is really a product of Larry Bishop, who at this point had been acting in a lot of things over the course of two decades, deciding he wants to write and direct his own feature and calling in every favor and friendship that he's gained over the years to try and make that happen. And it did happen. But the movie was not well received and <laughs> was pretty famously torn apart by Siskel and Ebert. Uh, they called it the worst movie of 1996. And uh, in his review, Ebert said that Mad Dog Time is the first movie I have seen that does not improve on the sight of a blank screen viewed for the same length of time. <laughs> oh, my fucking God. Ebert yeah. was an absolute like monster in his written yes. reviews. <laughs> Yeah, when he was when he really hated something, he really hated something. Uh, there's a little bit more here. It says, oh, I've seen bad movies before, but they usually made me care about how bad they were. Watching Mad Dog Time is like waiting for the bus in a city where you're not sure they have a bus line. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> Brutal. Yeah, absolutely insane. So as a result, Mad Dog Time got a limited release in theaters and was sort of quietly ignored. You know, Siskel and Ebert especially are, were like very powerful critics in their day. And if they like really hated something that like wasn't a guaranteed like wide release type thing, it could just kind of get buried. And that was kind yeah. of what happened with Mad Dog Time. Uh, this movie had a budget of about eight million dollars, ended up grossing just over a hundred thousand in its limited release. <laughs> so a big whiff there. But Bishop did manage to wrangle together an insanely talented cast, uh, including Jeff Goldblum in one of the busiest periods of his career between, you know, Independence Day and Jurassic Park and all that stuff. Like, you know, that's a pretty good time to get Jeff Goldblum. Uh, so Goldblum plays Mickey Holiday, a guy caught in the middle of a power struggle slash gang war slash lovers quarrel uh, in some kind of alternate reality, which I have <laughs> to mention because the movie opens with, you know, like a weird like outer space thing and it's like in a parallel universe on the other side of the cosmos it's like what the fuck movie is this you know i absolutely <laughs> forgot about that and that makes i wish that movie i wish the movie reminded me halfway through because i <laughs> that would have changed a lot of my opinions honestly yeah it took place in some kind of alternate reality which is weird we'll talk about that in a minute uh most of the action takes place at vic's rough house which is owned by vic the boss of the place who recently just got released from an insane asylum he's played by richard dreyfus of course from movies like jaws and close encounters vic's right hand man ben london is played by gabriel byrne a few years after miller's crossing and more recently he was the dad in hereditary uh, yeah. 
yes. one of our favorite movies of the last few years. Uh, Vic is searching for his girlfriend, Grace Everly, played by Diane Lane from The Outsiders and Streets of Fire. Goldblum had a relationship with her, and he's also sleeping with her sister, uh, Rita Everly, played by Ellen Barkin, which makes this a Buckaroo Banzai reunion. We love that. Yeah, there you go, in an unexpected place. Uh, and then Goldblum's buddy, Jules Flamingo, is played by Gregory Hines from History of the World Part 1. <laughs> <laughs> and Which the Cotton is Club to connect it to our uh, yes. Nick Cage podcast, right? Yes, also from the Cotton Club, you're right. Uh, meanwhile, Larry Bishop himself plays Nicholas Falco, a hitman that Vic hires to take Goldblum out. Meanwhile, a rival gang sees Vic's absence as a chance to steal power for themselves. Jake Parker is played by Kyle McLaughlin from Twin Peaks, and <laughs> Jackie Jackson is played by Burt Reynolds. <laughs> <laughs> which is absolutely wild. This is right before his kind of sort of career comeback with Boogie Nights. Uh, that was like the next year. Uh, right. And also that makes this a the player reunion. I yeah. mean, I, I feel like I'm going to keep saying like, you know, as we get further down the line, like every movie will be at the player reunion in some way, just because there's so many weird cameos in that movie. <laughs> Yeah, if there's any movie that will be the easiest to have reunions, it'll be the player. Yeah, exactly. A movie that Goldblum is in for about five seconds. Uh, yeah. And same with Burt Reynolds. Henry Silva, who was Rat Pack adjacent in the 60s, starring in movies like Ocean's Eleven, The Manchurian Candidate. He plays Sleepy Joe, one of Vic's guys. Michael J. Pollard from The Bonnie and Clyde. He plays Red, the guy who gets shot at the beginning. Uh, and then there's a shitload of cameos in this movie. Billy Idol is here playing Lee Turner. Model Angie Everhart plays Gabriella. Billy Drago from Pale Rider and The Untouchables plays Wells. Singer Paul Anka plays Danny. Uh, Rob... <laughs> That might be the weirdest one, I think, of all the, all the cameos in this movie. Uh, Rob Reiner appears as Albert, a cab driver. Uh, Joey Bishop, Larry's father, appears in his final film role as Gottlieb. And finally, Richard Pryor appears very briefly as Jimmy the Gravedigger, uh, which, by the way, the names of the characters in this movie, 10 out of 10. You know, yeah. they're, yes, <laughs> they're yes. great. All time. So, so good. Uh, what was your favorite cameo of those ones, Mike, that I just listed off? <laughs> I mean, I guess Kyle McLaughlin, even though that's actually not really a full cam. That's like full character. That's a, uh, that's a supporting role. Yeah, that's a supporting I'm, I'm thinking role. more like maybe I'm thinking more like the Billy Idol or like that kind of thing. Uh, maybe Billy Drago, I think only because he's the villain in the short lived uh, Adventures of Briscoe County, <laughs> which is the Bruce Campbell Western TV show. Uh, wow. And he's the main <laughs> villain on that, uh, which is very funny. Whenever I see him, I'm like that guy from Briscoe County, uh, even though that's not the thing he's the guy from. Right. It's one of those things where it's like, oh, yeah, Scott Glenn from Vertical Limit. Uh, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So there you go. Yeah. I think the uh, the Billy Idol one is the first is, is like the first major cameo you see. And it's also the weirdest one, I think, because it's just like it's Billy Idol and he's dead within 30 seconds of this. Yeah. Especially up. for me, because like I don't really know what 1996 Billy Idol looked like. So I was like, right. Is this Billy Idol? And then he's dead immediately. And I was like, ah, it seems weird if it was. And then the credits roll around and I'm like, oh, yeah, that was him. Turns out. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think the reason I recognized him is because he was in uh, The Wedding Singer like two years later. I think right. uh, so it was around that same era. So he looked pretty similar to what he did in that movie. Uh, so Mad Dog Time was released on November 8th, 1996. And like I said, didn't exactly make a dent to the box office. Uh, instead, opening at number one that weekend was the Ron Howard movie Ransom with Mel Gibson. And also at that weekend, opening at number three was F. Gary Gray's Set It Off. Uh, you seen either of those movies, Mike? Uh, yeah, I've seen Ransom a whole bunch. Uh, he just yeah. wants his son back. But yeah, <laughs> <laughs> which honestly, I remember really liking that movie. I haven't seen it in a long time, but I remember yeah. it being pretty intense and fun. Uh, but I've never seen the F. Gary Gray movie. Yeah, neither. I, I've heard the F. Gary Gray set it off is actually really good, and I haven't seen that. But that's with like Vivica A. Fox and Jada Pinkett Smith. And I remember there's a reference to that movie in Girls Trip, 
uh, oh. which has two of the actors from Set It Off in it. So there's that. Uh, I've actually never seen Ransom. That's one that, really? uh, <laughs> yeah, never seen it. I remember there was one time, this might've been like high school or something, where like a teacher brought up this movie with Mel Gibson where he had to like, somebody took his son for ransom and he had to get it back or else pay the ransom. But he couldn't <laughs> think of the name of the movie. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> and he was saying the word ransom over and over and over again, but it didn't click with him that that was also the title of the movie. It was pretty funny. Uh, Amazing. <laughs> Also in the top 10 that week were movies like Boz Lerman's Romeo plus Juliet, uh, Sleepers, High School High, The First Wives Club, Larger Than Life, The Ghost in the Darkness, Dear God, and Michael Collins. And in case you're wondering, Independence Day is hanging out at number 14 uh, about five months after its release. Uh, wow. So still, you know, it's it's it, I think it's like less than a million dollars it's making at this point per week now, but it's still hanging out like just outside the top 10. So there's that. Yeah. Uh, and the IMDb plot synopsis from Mad Dog Time reads with his boss in the madhouse, a mobster is temporary boss of the criminal empire, just as vicious rivals threaten the control of the empire, which I saw that synopsis and I thought, Wait, does this does this design do you think Gabriel Byrne is the main character in this movie? <laughs> 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 because that's what it seems like. That's from his point of view. His boss is in the madhouse, a mobster, is temporary boss of the criminal empire. That's Gabriel Byrne's character. Uh, I guess who so. is he was like a major part of the movie. But I would say that Jeff Goldblum is kind of glue of this whole thing. He's the main guy, right? Yeah, yeah. I think uh, I mean, I guess Goldblum is sort of the head honcho kind of guy holding it together. I mean, I don't know. This, that's one of the things about this movie is there is a lot of uh, interpersonal relationships that like just kind of assumed. <laughs> um, yes. Like, you know, I, I didn't really have a full grasp on who is who necessarily. Uh, and I guess we'll, I'll just jump into my uh, overall thoughts <laughs> at this sure. point that it's like kind of just a hot mess and I didn't really enjoy any of it, um, <laughs> which is I, I don't know. <laughs> uh, like it, during the viewing, I was like, I don't know, I'm pretty bored. I'm not really into this whole thing. And then like kind of ended and I was like, well, I don't know, it's sort of fun, maybe some of it. Some of it was interesting, uh, but overall, I didn't like I'll probably never watch this again. Um, <laughs> but, um, yeah, one of the things like one of the running gags is that everything rhymes uh, and we just repeat dialogue over and over and over again. And we have to say, uh, you know, Nick, Vic, Mick, uh, you know, whole thing. And that's like Gabriel Burns characters only trait is that he rhymes and repeats all of his dialogue. Uh, which yeah. is funny, but it's like, OK, we don't cut some of this, please. Like this movie feels so fucking long. This had the and I don't think it's even two hours, is it? Do you happen to know? Yeah, it's about nine, it's about it's about 90 minutes. It's, it's yeah. like an hour and a half. It feels like uh, 120 because um, there was a point <laughs> where like I paused it to like go to the bathroom and I was like, there's still a half hour left. Holy shit. Uh, and I guess we'll talk about that. But it definitely feels like a climactic moment. We're approaching the end of the movie and then we just nope. We got to we walk away from this table that we're at, uh, literally, and then keep going for another <laughs> half hour. But overall, yeah, like I said, it's kind of I wasn't that wasn't that interested. Uh, like it is one of those things where like we're big fans of big swing going for something crazy. And, you know, this is a swing and a miss for me. Uh, but even then, I don't think it quite rises to the level of being an interesting attempt at the swing that it's a you know, it's this kind of like underground weird mobster thing. But I guess if I had remembered slash the movie had leaned more heavily into this is an alternate reality because the plot is the it's the quick and the dead, but like underground 20s mobsters, guys, <laughs> um, like they're sharp shoot, not sharpshooter, quick draw shooter, like pistol duel guys. Yeah. At the bottom of this nightclub. But like, you know, rat in a rat pack uh, kind of aesthetic situation. And I was like, what the fuck is going on? This doesn't make any sense. But I forgot 
We're across the cosmos in, the, in Vic's reality, in the uh, alternate <laughs> world of the rough house. Okay, so here's the thing about Mad Dog Time. <laughs> Expectations going into this movie were pretty low. I'll say that. Sure. Uh, you know, because I, I knew that Siskel and Lieber hated the movie, called it the worst movie in 96. Plus, my only other experience with Larry Bishop is Hellride, which is a movie I did not like. Uh, so I was going into Mad Dog Time and being like, I don't even know what this movie's about. I just kind of hit play and let's see what happens. Kind of liked it. I thought it was pretty good. <laughs> uh, I think because it is such a singularly weird thing, like it feels like the kind of thing that only Larry Bishop could have made. And plus, it's just out of its time period because it is like right after Pulp Fiction came out. Like Pulp Fiction is 94. This movie is 96. And so I think I feel like it's part of that wave of just Tarantino ripoffs that happened in the back half of the 90s. Yeah. <laughs> yeah like you said, that prologue where it's like, oh, this takes place in an alternate reality. And it feels like it's ripping off Quentin Tarantino and David Lynch and the Coen brothers and so many of those like kind of directors. Yeah. Uh, but it's also kind of infusing Larry Bishop's own style, so to speak. I mean, it's a very written movie that's a very stylized movie uh and it also features a lot of rat pack music and it, like it feels like it's the stuff that he inherited from his father joey bishop running with the rat pack with frank sinatra and dean martin and all those guys being part of that culture so he's like ta- ripping off the movies and directors that he likes but also infusing this like weird sensibility that only he has because it's a very unique perspective to be the son of one of the guys from the rat pack <laughs> Right. You know, yeah, there's definitely uh, this kind of 90s grittiness infused in this kind of 60s Rat Pack chic thing going on. Yes. Uh, so, you know, I think it's just I, I, it's mostly to me an excuse to watch. It's really insanely good cast uh, dropped into this very strange, hyper stylized world and reciting fun dialogue and having lots of Mexican standoffs. And, uh, you know, a lot of Rat Pack music is playing. Yeah, I was on board. I, I had a good time. <laughs> I think I think the movie is fairly empty because it is one of those like Tarantino knockoffs that aping the style of Tarantino without adding the substance of Tarantino, you know, the stuff that makes his movies actually good. Like there's surface level elements to his movies that a lot of people rip off. Uh, and I think Mad Dog Time does that without actually inserting like something worthwhile in there. But like, I think it rips it off pretty well, like that, those surface level elements. And I found myself really enjoying the movie. But, you know, I, I could see why people wouldn't like it. Like, it's definitely something that is so bizarre and so weird. And I think for most people, not just you, it would be a swing and a miss. Yeah, uh, like I, I could see why Siskel and Ebert didn't like this. I don't think worst of 96 is necessarily how, how far I would go. Uh, but it's a movie that seems very busy. Not that much actually happens. You know, yeah. the editing, get, the editing gets really wonky in the back half, like in this in the last like half hour or so. It gets really weird, especially towards the end. But I had fun, man. I had a good, <laughs> I had a good time. Everybody in the cast looked like they were having fun. I got to watch Jeff Goldblum shoot Billy Idol in the head. Like, what more do you want in a motion picture? You know, <laughs> that's fair. Yeah, I, I think I think uh, it is. It is definitely a situation of like, you know, the, the surface level Tarantino thing is just like it's verbose. There's a lot of dialogue but in in mad dog time it's the same lines <laughs> over and over like they repeat themselves so much slash they figure out new words to rhyme things with um yeah which is like a running bit like i said throughout the whole movie uh and it just is one of those things that was like made it feel like we're going nowhere please move the scene <laughs> along um which is fine i don't know like it, i can't tell how i feel about particularly gabriel burns character because it, and his performance because he's the most like bonkers looney tunes kind of 
you know, oh yeah, like just a like a muscle henchman guy that like power has gone to his head and he thinks he's in charge now, uh, sort of character, which is fun. And Gabriel Byrne is a great actor, so it's fun and watching him like kind of play with that screw loose kind of character is is exciting and stuff. But he's the guy that like takes forever to rhyme and do everything over and over again. Uh, but it's like I can't tell if that was fun and interesting or annoying. Like that's the like those are the only two <laughs> options for this movie is either this is kind of a weird fun experiment or it's grading. And I feel like I came more on the grading side in my reaction. I mean, I agree that it walks that line, you know, yeah. It's, yeah. like it seems like it's kind of fun, but also like this could be annoying. You're not sure which is which I feel like on a plot level, this movie doesn't really work at all. But no. like, I kind of just I kind of just vibed with it. Like I kind of <laughs> I kind of just I just enjoyed like this weird world that it set up and the characters involved. Like you said, there was a lot of like weird writing stuff where it repeats a lot of the stuff it says and just finds new words to rhyme things with and all that stuff. I kind of enjoyed it. I think I think Gabriel Byrne and like the other actors like sell that stuff really well, even if like, you know, it's probably not very good. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? I think, too, uh, like Honestly, not that this is a science fiction movie or anything like that, but like I like I really think in retrospect, considering that it starts with this weird like in the far end of the cosmos and this other galaxy or whatever, like yeah. uh, that that does elevate this movie a little bit because like they're just murdering dudes and never once talk about the police. Like there's no implications beyond of anything like greater consequences in full clubs, like <laughs> in full nightclubs and stuff. And there's like an underground dueling ring uh, <laughs> underneath this one and stuff like that. So that, that was part of the stuff that like kind of pulled me out of it where I was like, this, like this doesn't make any sense. Like what is happening with this movie? <laughs> Yeah, um, and that's and that's why I think that narration intro is key where it's yeah. like, OK, so this is not take place in the real world. This is like some weird alternate reality and you can kind of just roll with it from there. So I, I think it it depends on how much you buy into that intro, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Or, talk time. Yeah, I mean, that. Yes, absolutely. And I think it's one of the things too, like how much this movie is able to keep your attention slash you're able to remember stuff that's happening because we do. Like you said, the editing is kind of weird. There's kind of just. We're in the next scene situation sometimes. Uh, so I was like, what's that? Like, what? Uh, <laughs> you know, it's kind of my reaction sometimes. So like, I forgot Tw- 10 minutes into this movie. I forgot that that narration even happened. Uh, so like, yeah. until you talked about it now in your intro, I didn't remember that was a thing. So <laughs> that's the kind of movie this is. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. That's fair. And, and again, I'm somebody who genuinely liked this movie but like you know a day after watching it like i watched it a little over 24 hours ago a lot of it has already left my brain it's it's complete fluff it yeah. is what i mean uh but all right jeff goldblum is at the center of this movie he plays mickey holiday which is a great gangster name yeah uh what did you think of jeff goldblum in mad dog time mike um i think he's kind of, he it's kind of tough i think in the first half He's sort of just there, uh, like a lot of the characters in this movie, at least, except for Gabriel Byrne in the first half, because <laughs> he's yeah. like out of his mind. Uh, but Goldblum is just like, you know, the calm, cool and collected. Like he's got all the he holds all the cards. He's got a grace in the hole, which is a repeated line of dialogue a whole bunch of times. Uh, yeah, I like he knows, that one. <laughs> no, which is pretty funny. There's a couple actually like genuinely great lines in this movie. Uh, but yeah, he, he like, you know, knows where Vic's girlfriend is hiding, kind of. So he knows he's got the power. They can't kill him until they know where Grace is. Uh, and he just, you know, like walks that swagger uh, throughout most of the beginning of the movie. But then 
as stuff starts to unravel and he like he kind of realizes he's losing his power a bit and Vic comes back and, you know, he's kind of challenged by that. Uh, he starts to get the like go bloomy, uh, jittery, weird delivery guy back, uh, particularly <laughs> in like the, I think the last half hour when the yeah. the hitman guy shows up. Uh, and that was a lot of fun, like having him like, you know, get getting peak 1996 go bloom, which is this is what the 25th movie he's made this year in 1996. It feels like <laughs> something like that <laughs> uh, up against Richard Dreyfus and Burt Reynolds. Like that's a bit, <laughs> that's a lot of fun. Yeah. Uh, so it was cool to see that. And I think in the last half uh, he feels a lot more fun and in, in terms of his performance than he does in the beginning. Uh, but overall, he's fine. He's Jeff Goldblum. It's base baseline entertaining, you know? Yeah, I mean, I think, uh, you know, again, it's a huge, huge ensemble cast. This movie kind of pulls together. You got Burt Reynolds, you got Richard Dreyfuss, you got Ellen Barkin and Diane Lane and Kyle MacLachlan is in this movie. And so, like so many great people are in this movie and Jeff Goldblum is at the center of it. And I think he does a really good job of being the guy who's uh, sort of playing all sides of this conflict. Yeah. Uh, whatever this conflict may be, because in like a loose sense, the conflict of the movie is that Vic Richard Dreyfus is getting released from the mental hospital and he's reassuming his position as like the head of this club and the boss of the place. But Goldblum has been sleeping with his girlfriend uh, and now the girlfriend has disappeared and nobody knows where she is. And so Goldblum has to either locate her or convince Richard Dreyfus not to kill him, whatever it is. Uh, and all right. that stuff. I think Goldblum does a good job of being the guy who is like just smart enough to like outwit everyone around him, yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's fun to see him uh, like hold all the cards, I guess, and have the grace in the hole. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, good stuff. I think uh, what was it there? There before the grace of Mick and Vic go, you is also. <laughs> yes. Also a line of this movie. Uh, there's, there's so much like punnery around the names in this movie, which uh, I kind of enjoyed. I thought that was fun. Uh, but yeah, I think and I think Goldblum plays well with everyone here, especially Gabriel Byrne. I think the two of them together are just really fun. Yeah. Uh, and they bounce off each other really well. And the Gabriel Byrne's character is is so weird and so like larger than life. Uh, and his death scene, like which happens like with like a half hour left to go in the movie uh, is genuinely insane. Like one, of, like, one of the weirdest things. Yeah, it takes so long. Anytime anybody gets shot in this movie, it takes forever to kill them. Yeah. Uh, like, you know, they'll get shot and then they'll be on the ground and then they'll be like, but wait, like they have like, you know, uh, another soliloquy to go. Yeah, <laughs> it's a very Shakespearean thing. Yes, exactly. Uh, and that it really comes to a head with Gabriel Byrne's character when they shoot him like five or six different times. Uh, and then he stands like after he's been just, like shot in the chest a bunch, he stands up and is like, oh, what balls did I have or whatever? And like, yeah, <laughs> and then he finally slumps down and <laughs> so insane so weird uh but all right how, how do you think this movie mad dog time fits into the roles that we've seen jeff goldblum play so far mike um i think you know it's it was a little hard for me to think of anything other than you know some of the like criminal underground kind of movies we've seen before from goldblum so um deep cover special delivery you know he's he's one of the criminal underground guys in that uh i threw in yeah. death wish for the same reason framed you know that's a little less lower stakes uh you know the art art forgery world but still yeah. uh criminal underground and then also it this uh med dog time has uh the thing we kind of called the greatest hits style end credits where you get to see everybody's best parts of the movies <laughs> just like in yeah. thank god it's friday ah yes there it is yeah i actually wrote down predator style end credits but uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> But yeah, same thing for sure. So there's that. I think the one, uh, you know, and I also mentioned deep cover in my thing too, but the one that most immediately came to mind for me was Into the Night from yes. 1985, the John, the John Landis movie with uh, Goldblum and Michelle Pfeiffer, which is another 
kind of crime movie, kind of a comedy that features a ton of cameos uh, right. throughout its runtime. Uh, so it's actually kind of similar to Mad Dog Time in that way. So that, that's the one that I thought of when uh, I thought about Goldblum's career and how this one relates back to it. But all right, let's run the movie down scene by scene. Let's get into the insanity that is Mad Dog Time. So we begin with a narration intro out in space uh, (laughs) talking about how in the other side of the cosmos, there is a parallel universe, a world called Vic's world. And then you cue the uh, Frank Sinatra song world on a string. Yeah. (laughs) As the opening credits start playing and you're still in outer space. It it completely set the tone for everything that follows in the movie for me. And for you, you forgot about it in 10 minutes. Just immediately. Yeah. Once we like, you know, and it kind of slowly zooms in onto a planet and then down onto the street and we go into Vic's rough house. Uh, like immediately whoosh forgot <laughs> like okay that is garbage <laughs> i just forgot about it in my memory uh, which is unfortunate because yeah. i think it does actually sort of play into the movie yeah which is weird like as soon as it started because i really didn't know anything about this movie going into it but it was one of those like as soon as it started i was like wait am i watching the right movie because you right. <laughs> you sent me a file for this and i was like maybe he sent me the wrong one and then you know the title came out mad dog time with jeff goldblum and i was like oh Okay, I guess this is right. Uh, And then it has like a little thing on the bottom saying many years later in some godforsaken place. It's like years later from what? What what are you talking about? (laughs) The birth of the world. Uh, I I think that's what it means. Yeah, like the big because you see like kind of a big bang thing happening in in that intro. And then the world exists. And uh, yeah, there's like a matte painting of uh, Vic's roughhouse, which transitions into the actual place. Uh, And so, yeah, many, many years later. After the birth of this weird alternate reality, uh, you're at Vic's rough house and it's a world that is basically just this rough. house. Yes, <laughs> I think the only three places that exist in this world are Vic's rough house, Gottlieb's mortuary and Goldblum's apartment. I think those are the only three places. <laughs> I think so. I think you're correct. And so you kind of open up with this meeting between Ben Gabriel Byrne's character, this guy Red and Jeff Goldblum. And uh, well, it starts you know, with Henry Silva asleep on the floor. Well, his character is named Sleepy Joe. Sleepy Mike, so Joe. of course, he's asleep on the floor. Naturally. Classic Sleepy Joe. Yeah. <laughs> and so they're having this meeting and Ben is like, well, it's a Vic is getting out tomorrow. Vic is, uh, you know, leaving. And again, you're, you're completely just dropped into this world. You don't know that Vic has been in a mental asylum. You don't know who Vic is. No. You know, <laughs> all you know at this point is that apparently he owns this rough house because it's called Vic's rough house. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of this movie is kind of just dropping you into it and you kind of pick up the context of it later. So, you know, in this conversation, like, you know, Vic's getting out, but I, I, I assumed he was getting out of jail. So Same, he was yeah, like, me too. And then later it's revealed that he's getting out of the mental asylum or whatever. And he turned himself in there months ago or whatever. Uh, and so Red is this guy who's there. Ben is like, uh, you know, oh, so Red, you betrayed Vic or whatever. I, I completely forget what Red did that upset them <laughs> in some way. I don't remember, but I, I it sort of ends with it, it's like sort of a reversal kind of thing because he's telling them like, oh, you know, Vic wants to repay you for what you did you did to like keep the rough house running and uh, just consider yourself on the payroll and he blows them away. Yes. <laughs> and then he gives the exact same full speech to Goldblum that ends the same, yeah. like, you know, and consider yourself on the payroll. Uh, and then yes, Goldblum interrupts him, of course. Yes. Yeah. Cause Goldblum is a little bit smarter than everyone else in this movie. Yes. Uh, so we, we learn, we learn that Goldblum kept a uh, Vic's girl company uh, while he was away, which of course is code for sleeping with her. Yeah. Uh, and nobody knows where she is. Her name is Grace and uh, nobody knows where she is now. Goldblum says he doesn't know where she is, but he also says that, uh, you know, you're, you're not going to kill me, Ben. You don't have the balls to do it. 
Uh, and he's like, what are you talking about? I got balls. I got big brass balls or whatever. They call <laughs> whatever me brass balls, Ben. Like, do, they, do they call you that? <laughs> but, you know, he's saying that he's not going to kill him because I'm the only one who may know where Grace is. And so Vic doesn't want to kill me until he actually knows where Grace is and that kind of thing. And Ben's like, oh, well, I guess you're right. You know, and there's a lot of puns in the scene involving Grace's name where I like Ben's pointed the gun at him. is like, so this is the coup de Grace. Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then Sleepy Joe, when, when Goldblum tells him he's not going to kill him, he's like, oh, he's got a Grace in the hole. he just wants to be part of the scene good old henry exactly (laughs) good old sleepy joe he's the best uh so yeah so goldblum is able to walk away from the whole thing knowing ben won't kill him uh and then goldblum's at his place and rita shows up along with jules flamingo another great name yeah uh, (laughs) in this movie and she shows up at goldblum's house and you know she's saying like it's mad dog time we gotta get out of here and all that stuff and Red's corpse is riding in the passenger seats. <laughs> like he's uh, like the seatbelts on and like the bullet hole is right in his <laughs> is right in his head. Uh, but, you know, he's just because they're dropping him off at the mortuary, I guess. Right. Uh, right after. But instead of like putting him in the trunk or in some kind of like, you know, box or something, uh, they're just like, nope, he rides up front. Just put him up front. So weird. Yeah. Again, so so many like odd details that kind of just give you a flavor of this insane world that this movie takes place in, uh, which I'm all about. Uh, I kind of. <laughs> enjoy that about it Uh, but yeah so Goldblum's like kind of rushed away from his house with Rita and Jules Flamingo and they get to uh back to the club and they go underground and that's where you see the desks for the first time Uh, and every time they go to the desks I'm like oh shit it's the desks uh (laughs) it's basically how I reacted because after the after the first like two times are at the desks you get you figure out what the desks are for basically right yeah yeah I mean the first time it was very strange that they they're like big executive wide like, you know, kind of office style desks. Uh, and they sit yes. not on opposite sides of a desk. They sit on two separate desks uh, or at two separate right, desks. Right, like 10 feet apart or whatever. Yeah. yeah. And uh, <laughs> once they laid the revolvers down on the table in front of them, I was like, is this like a like dual, like quick of the dead kind of like quick draw thing happening? Yeah. And then it happens. And I was like, this is the weirdest movie of all time. It's, it's so bizarre. So they come down to these desks. Kyle McLaughlin is there. He plays Jake. And Billy Idol is there as Lee Turner. And Billy Idol sitting down at one desk. And Goldblum sits down aside the opposite desk. And he goes, hi, Lee. And Billy Idol's like, fuck you. Yeah, he's Billy Idol. <laughs> yeah. And then Goldblum shoots him in the head. Uh, and that that's, you know, all that happens there. And so kind of you get the sense like, oh, they have this whole system where like if there's conflict, you got to go down to these desks and resolve it with this like standoff and all that stuff. And yeah, that's what happens there. But so uh, Jake has got a new guy to face Goldblum, Nicholas Falco. Uh, and he tells Goldblum about this and, you know, they're up at the club, but kind of just having a good time, you know, hanging out and uh, go. I mean, they're not really having a good time. I guess that's not the really way to put it. But there is a club upstairs. They're all hanging out, but everyone's trying to kill each other. Is yeah, it, is they're, they're all like conniving. Exactly. Especially Colin McLaughlin's character. Yeah. Uh, which is a lot of fun to watch. But anyway, Goldblum ends up hooking up with Rita, who I think at this point is when we learn that uh, Rita is Grace's sister. Yes. Uh, maybe or maybe it's even like later than this. I feel I feel like we've already met Rita. And then, you know, they hook up and then maybe it's like two or three scenes later. You find out like, oh, you're always messing around with those Everly sisters, aren't you? (laughs) Yeah, I think it it might be. They definitely hook up before we know they are their sisters. Uh, Gabriel Byrne like slides into the booth and is being his weirdo self. And then he notices Go Bloom's longing looks at uh, Ellen Barkin and says that, like, oh, you know, you can't can't leave them two sisters alone or some 
weird shit. Yeah, exactly. And uh, yeah, when he does that, when Vic approaches Goldblum, he's pretending that Vic is dead. Or not when Vic, when uh, Gabriel Byrne approaches Goldblum, he pretends that Vic is dead. He's like sobbing at the table like, Vic is dead. Wouldn't you like that? (laughs) (laughs) This actually does have a very funny uh, thing that Gabriel Byrne is doing when he's like explaining that like, oh yeah, Vic uh, was like, you know, paranoid schizophrenic and is to deal with the trauma, his personality shattered into uh, 10 separate personalities. And the the clinic uh, decided to be too, too dangerous to release them all at once so they're being staggered <laughs> and uh, we'll have to go pick up each personality individually and then he should be reassembled sometime tonight uh like there's like this kind of whole long thing that was, that was actually pretty funny yeah pretty solid yeah vic is a sick prick mick and yeah. all that stuff but uh yeah and meanwhile like as he's talking about rita like Goldblum has this like really creepy smile that it, has, it, like, yeah. close, it like does a close-up on Goldblum's face like as they mentioned that like you know rita is grace's sister and Goldblum's was sleeping with both of them he's just like <laughs> like <laughs> it's very strange <laughs> Really weird smile on Goldman's part. But uh, yeah, and then you find out uh, there's the scene where uh, Kyle McLaughlin, Jake, is meeting up with Jules Flamingo. He's Gregory Hines. Let's let's reiterate that. Yes, Gregory Hines. Uh, There's so many characters and so many weird names in this movie. But yes, Uh, so he's meeting up with Jules Flamingo. Again, great name. Yeah. Uh, And that he knows that, uh, you know, Jules is one of Goldblum's guys. And so they basically start talking about Falco and it's like, oh, Falco is, you know, one of our best guys. You know, he only has one year to live and decided to, you know, reassess his life and change it for the better or whatever. Uh, And then he says something to Flamingo and Flamingo says, oh, you know, I always land on my feet. And uh, Colin McLaughlin's like, well, today you're landing on the coffee table. (laughs) Yeah. And then uh, Falco from behind him. (laughs) Yes. And Falco comes from behind him and uh, shoots him in the back of the head uh, and kills Jules Flamingo. It's actually he shoots him in the chest because Flamingo uh, is like smoking oh, yeah. a cigar and he lets him finish his drink and he stands up and, you know, does his tie and, you know, straightens his suit out. And it's like a pratfall. He's like, OK, go ahead. And he shoots him and he stands there for like a second or two and then like flop, like falls, like pratfalls backwards onto the coffee table. And I was like, what the fuck is going on with this movie? It's that uh, History of the World Part One experience for, for yeah. Gregory Hines. It's like you got yeah. Gregory Hines. You got to use him, you know? And then Kyle McLaughlin is like announcing his evil plan to the rest yeah. of his gang like, uh, he's like so this is what's gonna happen is Vic will come out of jail and then he's gonna kill Goldblum and Goldblum's gonna kill him and I like all this stuff and Kyle Lachlan's like I'm an all-knowing little fucker ain't I yeah. and I know that they don't know that I know uh, it's like a whole thing oh, it's so good oh, man so it's so fun watching him just like go nuts in this role which and that's part of the appeal for this movie for me I'm trying to figure out why I like this movie as much as I did like as we're talking about it and I think it's mostly just because it's a lot of actors that I really like having a lot of fun like chewing the scenery yeah Uh, and that's a big part of it for me but yeah and then Vic finally arrives at the nightclub. (laughs) The greatest uh, entrance of all time. Yeah, there's this instrumental version of Frank Sinatra's My Way, uh, which is playing. uh, And, you know, the doors open and Vic arrives and he's wearing a white bathrobe. Yeah. Uh, And he's just kind of like, you know, moseying through the crowd as everyone's given like a big standing ovation. And it's, of course, Richard Dreyfuss, which is a lot of fun. Yeah, because it's funny, too. The movie, like you said, opens like one of the very first like studio credit things you see is Dreyfus James Productions. And I was like, that that Dreyfus like I've not. Is that what this is? I don't know. Uh, and then <laughs> Vic arrives uh, and it's Richard Dreyfus. And I was like, I, I was not prepared for <laughs> Dreyfus to be like the grand <laughs> mob boss guy. A very weird role for Richard Dreyfus to play. Mm-hmm. <laughs> But, you know, perfectly in keeping with the alternate reality that is Vic's world. Yes. 
did you did you know about any of the cast going into this movie, Mike? Outside of Goldblum, did you know about anybody that's going to be in this? No, um, I think you had mentioned that Ellen Barkin was in it, and people like Burt Reynolds were in it, uh, but you didn't really okay. name drop anybody else uh, in our kind of episode prep uh, stuff. So I didn't I didn't have like a full appreciation of how many people were going to be in this movie. <laughs> okay, because like before every episode, like I, I actually because I could do my intro stuff, I like go in and like see who's in the cast and start writing down like you know just reunions and whoever's in it. So I, I always know like everybody who's in the movie before I watch the movie. Uh, but I would imagine if I was watching Mad Dog Time without having looked at the cast list, like every five minutes, I would have been like, holy shit, it's this guy. Yeah, I mean, that's what I was <laughs> it's like. It's Billy Idol. It's Diane Lane. Yeah, that's why I had no idea that I was like, is that Billy Idol? I'm not sure. And then Richard Dreyfuss yeah. shows up and I'm like, holy shit. That's Richard Dreyfuss. Yeah. Uh, so nuts. And there's a lot of review, like, you know, like uh, when we finally see Grace and it's Diane Lane, I was like, holy shit, that's a big, like, yes, that yep. makes sense. It's perfect. Uh, there's a lot of people like that. That I was like, oh, my God, this is amazing. Absolutely. Uh, so Vic has arrived and uh, Jake, Kyle McLaughlin, gives him a gift. They go like, into the back room and uh, the gift from Jake is a straight jacket, you know, kind of making fun of right. him for coming out of the insane asylum and all that stuff. Uh, and Goldblum is back there with him and Dreyfus is trying to, you know, kind of get information from him, like what happened to Grace. And so now he's basically putting Jeff Goldblum and Gabriel Byrne like together uh, and like telling them they got to go find Grace. Right. That's kind of the, the gist of the scene. Because at this uh, at this point, a lot of it gets kind of twisted. Around. Yeah, I have this no is, idea. Uh, so, yeah, around here is when Dreyfus, he recognizes that Kyle McLaughlin and his crew are going to like try to move on them uh, to take yeah. over. So he kind of puts Goldblum in charge of taking care of that and finding grace. And now Gabriel Byrne is second in command. And, you know, well, whereas in the beginning of the movie, he was in charge, quote unquote, uh, which yeah. is, this is the scene when, uh, sleepy Joe says, uh, like there, but for the grace of Mick and Vic, he go, you, uh, kind of thing. Yes. <laughs> uh, cause that had been uh, talked about earlier, had been referenced earlier. Flipped, and there's a lot yeah, of repeat, flipped around. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of repeat dialogue stuff. So yeah, this is where they kind of like have to team up and protect the, the crew basically. Yeah, it's also revealed here that Grace is pregnant, too. She yes. is, she's having somebody's baby, and we don't know whether it's Goldblum's or whether it's Richard Dreyfuss's. Right. right. That's kind of part of it, too. Uh, so Grace is pregnant here, and they say that there's going to be a homecoming party for Vic tomorrow uh, at the club. So after that, uh, Jake tells Goldblum about Falco killing Flamingo, and then they're back at the desks. We're, right. we're back at the desks, baby. <laughs> well, because it's so this is like really weird to me, too, because the first time when it's Billy Idol, it seems like it's for money. Because they talk about, like, I forget exactly what they say afterwards, but Gregory Hines says to Kyle McLaughlin, like, oh, think about it philosophically, man. You didn't lose money on the bullets. And they like they kind of like, ha, 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 and walk away. Uh, <laughs> so it seemed like it was like a gambling thing. But then the second time. It seemed like it. It's like a debts, like a, you know, we got a score to settle kind of thing. With, yeah, with exactly. Falco. And so they're at the desks. And Goldblum's facing off against Falco and Falco is like, you know, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to put like two bullets in your kneecaps and then I'm going to put one in your stomach and, you know, one in, and then finally one in your head. And then Goldblum's like, well, oh, that seems like a lot of work. Seems so highfalutin. Uh, <laughs> you, know? Uh, you know what I'm going to do? I'm just going to put one bullet straight in your head and that's going to be the end of it and uh, all that stuff. Uh, and so they're facing off. And uh, I think right before he actually shoots Falco, uh, he has another line which reminded me of a Jerry Seinfeld routine uh, where he's like uh, talking about how Falco is like, you know, everyone talks about death as some great loss, but really you're just reaching the finish line faster than the rest of us. You're coming first in death uh and <laughs> there's like a jerry seinfeld bit where it's he's talking about 
being in the Olympics and getting the <laughs> silver medal. Yeah. And it's like, you're the number one loser. No one lost ahead of you. Like that's, <laughs> that's what Jeff Goldblum's doing in the scene. He's like psyching out Falco a little bit, basically, which is pretty funny. And then, uh, as this is happening, uh, Jake, Kyle McLaughlin appears to have a heart attack. So yes. he's like, you know, off on the side and just suddenly goes like, ah, and falls down. <laughs> right. And he's been taking uh, uh, nitroglycerin for a heart problem the whole movie. Yes, exactly. And so at that point, Goldblum shoots Falco, uh, like in the confusion, shoots Falco. And then, you know, Falco dies. And then it turns out Kyle McLaughlin's not dead. And he tries to slice Gabriel Byrne's throat. Uh, and then Goldblum shoots him as he does that and kills him. Yeah. With a backwards gun, like shooting with his yes. pinky on the trigger, which is <laughs> like why why would you do this yeah he he's the clint eastwood of uh, of this uh, uh group he's the, f- the fastest gun in the west of yeah. vic's world <laughs> the fastest gun in the world of vic exactly <laughs> on, on the other side of the cosmos but he's the roughest um, house <laughs> and so yeah so at this point Kyle mclaughlin dies falco dies but gabriel Byrne kind of walks away with just kind of a scratch on his neck and he and goldblum get out of there uh and then when they go upstairs uh gabriel Byrne tells jackie's group that Jake is dead. And so I guess Jake was part of Jackie's group, I guess. I guess he was actually second in command to Jackie, who was Burt Reynolds, right? Is that what I'm getting out of this? (laughs) Uh, I think it might be the other way around that, that Kyle McLaughlin was first and Jackie is second, I think. Maybe. Okay. But now, but now Jackie is, I I mean, I feel like it would be weird for Burt Reynolds to be the number two guy and Kyle McLaughlin to be the number one guy. (laughs) I mean, yeah, but he doesn't show up till later in the movie. So I don't know. This is true. But yeah, that, that's very true. And that's also one of the weird things. I thought it was like another rival gang. Right. Uh, but they go up there and tell him like, oh, well, we killed a uh, kill old Jake. He's dead now. And everybody in the group's like, no, and <laughs> yeah. all that stuff. And Goldblum's like, it's going to be mad dog time, baby. Yeah. But weird. And then also Gabriel Byrne takes the nitroglycerin he's been taking and turns out it's just Tic Tacs and he was faking the heart thing like the whole movie, I guess, to set yeah. up this specific thing. Uh, very weird. <laughs> yeah, absolutely uh, bizarre. And so he's eating like the Tic Tacs in front of like Jackie and his group as he's telling yeah. him the news, uh, which is a pretty funny touch. Uh, and then, yeah, after that, then Jackie and his group go, go up to Vic's office and Vic's not there. But Sleepy Joe is asleep uh, and <laughs> asleep, of course. Uh, and then he wakes up and he sees everybody like, kind of pointing guns at him. And uh, I, does he have a line there or does he just start laughing? I, I think he just starts laughing. I don't remember. I'm pretty sure he just starts laughing and then Jackie kills him and the, you know, his group kills Sleepy Joe. R.I.P. Sleepy Joe. Yeah. He slept better than anyone else ever did. (laughs) (laughs) He was the number one sleeper in this movie. And so, yeah, then after that, we go to Vic's party. It's the homecoming party. And uh, Paul Anka is there and, you know, they bring him out on stage and he's singing My Way, which was, of course, the instrumental song that, uh, you know, introduced him before. So now he's singing it again uh, for Vic. And then Ben Gabriel Byrne, who introduced Paul Anka, he's playing a character named Danny in this. Yeah. uh, And then Ben turns it into like this weird duet, uh, (laughs) which at first, you know, it seems like he's kind of drunk or whatever, which maybe he is. uh, But he's turning it into a duet that keeps insulting Vic, where he just like is making fun of Vic for, you know, losing Grace and losing her to Goldblum and, you know, all this stuff. And uh, it's it's this really weird, prolonged scene that probably goes on for a little bit longer than it should. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, this whole performance up through uh, Ben's death feels like it's 25 minutes. Um, I don't think it actually (laughs) is, but it it is like the entire song. And it's like we this doesn't this bit doesn't need to be the entire song. Um, (laughs) This is where I started to get kind of annoyed with like the pacing of stuff like I my note right before this was, okay. the rhyming is getting annoying. And then my next note is really the whole song Um, because like they do the whole thing with 
Ben interrupting every chorus and changing it to be about Vic uh, and stuff like yeah. that. I mean, it's funny. It just goes on for a very long time. And then, you know, the the scene after that where he dies is very long. Um, yeah, well, I will say the button at the end of the song is, I think, genuinely great where, you know, everybody's completely silent when the song ends. And Richard Dreyfus just like says, thank you all for coming. And everyone rushes out of there. Yeah, it's like a like a <laughs> Looney Tunes, like like their legs all spin and they uh, <laughs> I did think that was very good um, I did like that moment a lot and and right before that too when uh, when Ben is like oh man I don't think if you're gonna, I don't know if you're gonna cut it in showbiz Danny uh, after he like interrupts him the whole song uh, was very yeah. funny too and yeah I did actually like that song that that moment when Vic like shows that like no he's in control here and this is his house like this is his place and everyone knows exactly what he means when he says thank you all for coming <laughs> Uh, and they're all just grabbing their coats and stuff and running out of that place. Yes. Yeah. So, so good. So everyone has rushed out. Ben and Vic is Ben and Vic are like arguing. Ben's like shouting at him from the stage and Vic's and Gold, Vic and Goldblum are still in the audience. Uh, and it's just them. Uh, and Ben's up there. And there's another grace pun where he's like, oh, you've shown tremendous grace under pressure. I like to think of grace under me. Yeah. Like, so Vic says to Ben, OK, run home, pack your bags leave town and then ben keeps mouthing off so vic shoots him in the knee and then says hop home (laughs) pack your bags leave town and then he shoots him in the other knee and he's like roll home (laughs) and pack your things get out of town i love that was really funny i thought that was really good (laughs) yeah this scene is the like it has a lot of repeated dialogues uh lines and stuff that was like Okay, but I think it's the power of just Richard Dreyfus. You know, he's Hooper from Jaws. Like he's he's just like sure. this kind of shaggy looking guy in my mind's eye forever. Uh, but seeing him be like menacing and like control this room and just like pure charisma was like actually really impressive. And yeah. like it's kind of he's scary in this movie. Yeah, he's actually he's really solid. And uh, yeah, it is. And it is just so much fun. Like, like I said, I think the actors are having a lot of fun with this, you know, really stylized dialogue. And it does elevate the uh, the movie as a whole i think this this moment this moment coming up is my favorite line in the whole movie i think uh okay. uh i think it's the line i'm about to say yeah. so i will uh, it's vic shoots him one more time uh ben kind of falls down and hits like the piano yeah uh and like you hear like a note come out and then ben's like beg like begging goldblum to stop him and goldblum's like i judge a man's life by the way he dies ben and your life was one note yeah <laughs> Because that's that's what Ben says early in the beginning of the movie when he shoots red in the office uh, and he says, like, yes. I judge a man's life by the way he dies and yours was a fucking mess or something like that. <laughs> uh, and so when Goldblum uses the line on him after he hits the one note, and it's like, bing, and it like it's like a whole like they hold the note for a long time. And then yep. Goldblum just has this smarmy smile when he says that. And it's like, God damn like that's really good that's really solid yeah. uh, <laughs> you know there's stuff in this movie that to appreciate uh <laughs> once again uh but yeah so vic has shot ben again and then the real falco shows up <laughs> <laughs> the guy from before was not falco uh that was some guy that jake was pretending was falco or whatever was the situation i don't even actually know but uh the real falco shows up and it turns out he's actually on vic's payroll he's not part of that whole jackie and jake gang and so falco shows up and he shoots ben again uh and at this point it seems like well ben should really be dead uh yeah. and then ben like stands up with like four bullets in his chest and he has this like big monologue and he's like oh what's a pair of balls had i and then he finally dies yeah then he falls forward <laughs> yeah which uh and I, and I will say as soon as gabriel byrne dies 
I do think the movie loses a little bit of steam because he is uh, probably of all the performers in here. I think he is the most dynamic and like the most kind of fun to watch. Uh, at least. And again, I mean, I enjoy like everybody in this movie. Just, just Everybody feels like they're having a ball. But once you get rid of Gabriel Burns character, which every character in this movie feels like they exist just to die at some point. Yeah. 100 <laughs> percent. To give the to give the illusion of stuff happening in the movie. You have a lot of characters here and they all die at various points. <laughs> yeah. To, to make it seem like there's a plot. And then this is sort of where, like you said, I think this movie does run out of steam here at this point. And then there's the moment where they're like, OK, I want to show you something downstairs with Falco and Vic and Mick. Uh, and they all go downstairs to yes. uh, to the desks again. Yeah. And this is the point where I'm going to remind you that the real Falco is played by Larry Bishop, the uh, writer and director of the movie. Uh, and as soon as you go downstairs, Falco is making out with the model Angie Everhart. Yeah. Uh, like they're like making out downstairs and like. There's a lot of dialogue afterwards about how badass Falco is. Uh, And it it definitely feels like one of those situations where, like, you know, the writer slash director of the movie cast themselves as the coolest dude in the world. (laughs) The baddest motherfucker ever. Uh, You ever see Chef, the movie Chef from 2014 with Jon Favreau? No, but I Uh, know what you're talking about. All right. I know the movie. Yeah, that's that's a movie that was written and directed by Jon Favreau. uh, And it's a movie where. You know, John Favreau has like three different love interests and they're all like the hottest women on the planet. It's like Ugh. it's like Scarlett Johansson, Sofia Vergara, that kind of thing. Or like I think his ex-wife in the movie is Sofia Vergara and like Scarlett Johansson's like his love interest, like who works with him or whatever. And it's one of those things. It's like it just feels weird. Yeah. <laughs> that like you like because he's writing and directing and starring in the movie himself. So he's like he can cast whoever he wants, whatever. Uh, but it is it does feel like, hmm, I am the lead character of this movie. Naturally. Scarlett Johansson's going to be interested in me. You know, that, yeah, that, it's that the same thing. thing with that Joseph Gordon-Levitt movie where he's like a sex addict that he wrote and directed and started. And I think also stars yeah. Scarlett Johansson. Scarlett Johansson. Yeah. Yeah. yeah Scarlett Johansson's in that. Uh, I remember, I remember, that was a weird one because I saw that in theaters. I was kind of excited about it because uh, the trailer made it look really cool and like it was it looked kind of fun. And I was very, like that was like right at like peak Joseph Gordon-Levitt like yeah. right when he was in like everything. Right. And uh, I remember seeing that movie and I remember Brie Larson was in that movie. Uh, and she has like one line in that entire thing. Jesus. <laughs> like she plays a sister in the movie and it's it's like a sort of a recurring joke that she's silent uh, in it. But like I remember it was just so weird that like she was like, you know, build on the poster for the movie. Uh, and then when she like she's in it, she's like kind of on her phone the entire time. She's like <laughs> the young teenage sister. And then at the very end, she has like one word of dialogue. And that's it. weird. A weird movie. I haven't seen it since in theaters. I remember being kind of disappointed by it. But there you go. That's Don John. Let's get back to Mad Dog time here. Uh, so Falco and Goldblum are at the desks. They're back at the desks once again, the real Falco versus Goldblum. And uh, Falco starts removing the bullets from his gun uh, until he has one left. So Goldblum does the same. And, you know, Goldblum has a funny, like, you know, witty line where he's like, what, are we going to throw the guns at each other or whatever? (laughs) Yeah, I like that. That was good. And this this is the scene that kind of like took all the air out of the movie for me because it feels like the climax, like, right, The, the the coolest fastest gun in the rough house world is there and is the, the faster gun is showed up in Falco. Right. And what's going to happen? I assumed Goldblum was going to get blown away or whatever, or Goldblum was going to kill everybody and then ride off into the sunset with grace at this point is what I'm assuming is happening. And then they throw the bullets away and I forget what Goldblum just gets up and walks away. Right. I think he's like, I don't need this. Yeah, I, that's that's basically what happens. Yeah. Goldblum walks away and then Falco is like, I think I spotted your weakness. And it's like, oh, maybe you have or whatever. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> And yeah, I do think it does kind of feel like the climax of the movie, but also like you still haven't located Grace yet. Like we still don't know where she is or anything like that. So there's still like that dangling thread 
bed. Yeah. This was the point, though, where I like, paused it to go to the bathroom. Uh, and I was like, there's a fucking half hour left of this movie. What? Uh, and I just like um, uh, like it's, you know, robbed all the my interest in this movie at this point. Because uh, like I said, it yeah. feels like the build up. Somebody like somebody's going to die, which is the only thing this movie has plot wise. <laughs> and then Goldblum gets up and walks away. Uh, and yeah, we didn't resolve the, the grace thing at this point yet. Uh, but it felt like I thought he was going to, like I said, kill everybody in the room and then go find her and they were going to live happily ever after or something. But then I, this is what I paused it and was like, there's still so there's a whole other act of this movie left. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, that happens with you a lot. I feel like it's yeah, one of those things where <laughs> it does. I mean, it happens to me, too, where, you know, you watch you're watching a movie that uh, is maybe not the best and you kind of just check the time and it's like, oh, man, there's still 45 minutes left of this. Great. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I wonder what's on Twitter. So Goldblum has walked away from the fight with Falco and he goes upstairs and Jackie, Burt Reynolds and his group are waiting. <laughs> this is actually uh, a very good line. What's the line you're thinking of, Mike, just in case I forgot it? Uh, so they come up the stairs and it's it's Goldblum and uh, uh, Dreyfus and they see the uh, the rival gang there. And he's like, uh, I think I have time to run back downstairs and get the bullets because <laughs> he's taking them all out of his gun. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah, good. that was good. That was a good line. I did forget that. So that's good. Uh, but yeah, they're all upstairs. Jackie is, you know, kind of being intimidating and going up towards Vic. And it's like, you want to know my philosophy, Vic? I don't give a fuck. <laughs> so Burt Reynolds. Yeah. And then Falco comes in and just immediately kills Jackie and all of his guys. Yeah. <laughs> just, bah, 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 bah. Yeah. And that and that like entire plot, which like the movie had been that plot for the first hour. Uh, yeah. Like that had been kind of the main thing where it's like, oh, these guys are moving in on Vic. That plot is annihilated and there's still a half hour of the movie to go so it's like well exactly. i guess what what else is left uh other than the grace thing but yeah and that's kind of what takes center stage from this point forward but uh, i did like uh, you know his being like my philosophy i don't give a fuck and then as soon as he dies richard Dreyfus is like maybe he should have given a fuck <laughs> yeah oh yeah this scene too right so they're like that moment where he's like kind of burt reynolds is challenging him and this is where i realized that like i think richard Dreyfus might have like one of the best sarcastic fake laughs in movie history because he does it a lot in, in Jaws 2 <laughs> oh, yeah. he does it a whole bunch and in this scene where he, he does it and they like kind of gets everyone yucking so that Falco can come up behind him and kill him uh, <laughs> but yeah I was like holy shit Dreyfus is amazing so good uh, so they go midnight tomorrow Grace's office uh, Goldblum tells Vic to meet them there and so it implies that Goldblum does actually know where Grace is uh, but he meets with Rita outside Vic gets in a cab with Falco and the cab driver is Rob Reiner. Uh, and <laughs> I wasn't just, sure if it was him either. Yeah, that was Rob Reiner. And uh, <laughs> they ask him like, hey, Rob Reiner, what's your philosophy? And he's like, laughs, buddy. You got to go. You got to laugh. Exactly. <laughs> well, I hope you don't uh, die <laughs> while he's driving the cab looking backwards. And then Falco's like, you want to know my philosophy, Vic? To hell with goddamn everything. Which honestly is very similar to Burt Reynolds philosophy of yeah. uh, <laughs> I don't give a fuck. It's a bit more, it's a bit uh, more malicious, I guess, though. I suppose. Yeah. But uh, yeah. So it turns out Goldblum does know where Grace is and he meets with her and it's Diane Lane, which I did like the reveal of that, too. Yeah. Uh, when like he enters the room and like you see Diane's Diane Lane's head kind of emerge into the frame. Uh, I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah, because uh, you kind of just see her like her hips and legs and you think it's probably Ellen Barkin at this point because like they kind of go home together and then she sits up and it's Diane Lane. And I was like, hoo hoo. Yes. And this is Grace. And uh, so he sees Grace and she and he tells her, like, listen, Vic's out. He's been out for two days and he wants to find you and all that stuff. And it sounds like she actually wants to find him, too. And Goldblum's like, listen, I've been hooking up with Rita. Uh, And instead of being mad, she's just like, man, Rita's going to kill you. (laughs) (laughs) You thought you could see me during the day and Rita at night? What's wrong with you? (laughs) 
<laughs> so I, I did like that dynamic and it, it does like kind of twist around what you think this scene is going to be basically. Yeah, it kind of it's it's just weird. Everything about this movie is so weird. Yeah. So they they, they had met Grace and now we're going to Grace's office. Grace's Grace has an office in Vic's place or whatever. Uh, and this is a really weird scene. And this is where the editing starts to get really strange because there's this weird slow mo that happens <laughs> yeah. as you're kind of passing through the hallways and like Vic and Falco are going through. Uh, you see Gottlieb, who's played by Joey Bishop, and he's just like, hello. Yeah. <laughs> that thing. And then you see, and then Jimmy the Gravedigger, who is Richard Pryor and like this, you know, kind of electric scooter cart thing like, yeah. <laughs> with sunglasses and all that stuff. And he, I, I don't even know what line he has. I was so distracted by like the fact that he, it was entirely in slow motion. <laughs> I don't. Yeah, he opens the door to the office, I think, but I don't necessarily know why or how. But yeah, because the scene, the like sequence doesn't start in slow motion. Right. They're like walking through the club, like on their way to the office and they pass. Yeah. Gottlieb and then they start to slow down and then the whole thing's and I, I was like are they just trying to get to 90 minutes like by any means <laughs> necessary? Like it doesn't matter. They'll just make yeah. the scene four minutes instead of two minutes uh, because we put it in slow motion. Uh, yeah. And it's like, and it's also like, I mean, I get why Joey Bishop is there because he's Larry Bishop's father. Sure. But like, why is this Richard Pryor? Like what? <laughs> like, I, yeah. I don't if, know. If you're going to have Richard Pryor, why like cover it up with like weird sunglasses and a slow-mo camera? I, I wondered, I don't necessarily know uh, when Richard Pryor died slash what his health was at this point. I was like, I wonder if that's just covering up yeah. that he couldn't necessarily deliver the lines or anything. You know, I, I don't know. It was something I thought yeah. of, but I did not look into at all what, you know, what his, this, this is definitely, this is definitely one of Richard Pryor's last film roles. I think uh, he was in lost highway, the David Lynch movie a year after this. Okay. Uh, this is definitely like one of the last ones. Uh, but yeah, I think his health is pretty bad at this point. Uh, so yeah, I, I think it is probably like trying to cover that up uh, yeah. for sure. So Vic and Falco arrive at Grace's office and Grace is there. They finally see Grace and then Goldblum and Rita also arrive at the office and they all kind of sit down and Grace kind of has a talking to with all of them and says like, she's sorry to Vic for disappearing and for being with Goldblum and all that stuff. And then she, tell, she tells Rita about the fact that Goldblum has been seeing her during the day and her at night. And then Rita storms out of there, slaps Goldblum in the face and gets out. So that, that's a whole thing there. And it's like, why was Rita invited to this meeting in the first place. I'm not really sure. I'm well, not really sure. I mean, yeah, she's her sister, so sure. But this seems like a you know one of those conflicts that you really got to deal with between Goldblum and Vic and Fe like they like she's really outside of the action other than Goldblum hooking up with her. It feels like right. Yeah, yeah. But there's the plot point reason to it <laughs> that you might be. Well, yes. Okay. Well, yeah, I'm not forgetting it, but it is like, again, unclear that that's going to be where this goes at this moment in time. <laughs> yeah, I think Grace is in on that. Maybe. I don't know. At, th at this point, it's all, you know, whatever. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, Who cares? Yeah. At, at this point, Falco and Goldblum, they pull out their guns and they start to remove bullets again. Right. Uh, doing the thing. And uh, it turns out Vic actually hired Falco to kill him when it was all over. He was so upset by the loss of Grace uh, that he hired Falco to, you know, once he kills Goldblum and kills everybody that he needs to kill, he's going to turn the gun on Vic himself and put him out of his misery. Uh, it's like, oh, man, that's that's pretty dark. What's going to happen here? And then Rita storms back in with the gun. It seems like a lot of shots get fired, but nobody gets hit. Right. I mean, at, the, at yeah. this point, yeah, uh, I mean, Rita kicks the door in as Falco and Goldblum are about to shoot. So they both miss. And uh, this is when the like Goldblum goes into her handbag that she left when she stormed out and grabs another gun, which was the. Plan. Yes. 
Right. Yeah. And he kind of hints at that being like, oh, I may have another bullet tucked away in here somewhere. Right. Uh, <laughs> that kind of thing. But then actually Vic shoots Falco. Vic, who, you know, is the one who Falco is working for. He shoots Falco and then Goldblum shoots Falco and finally kills him. And then Vic is like, I've run out of people to kill me. Goldblum's like, don't look at me. I just ran out of bullets. Uh, <laughs> pretty solid line. Uh, so at this point, Vic uh, almost kills himself, right? He, uh, he turns the gun on himself and, uh, you know, it seems like he's going to do it. He can't live in a world without Grace. But then he doesn't. And he kisses Grace instead. And that's you know, like, all right. Cool, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> like, sure, I guess. I don't know. Yeah, I forget. And also in this scene, too, uh, Grace confirms that it is his baby, right? Because there's some uh, question about it earlier where he. he you right. Know, we're not sure if it's Golum or Vix. And then Rita asks and he's like, oh, it's Vix. Like immediately he answers, of course. And you're like, this guy covering for himself? What's happening? Uh, but Grace says, like, I want to have your baby to Vic. And it's like, oh, OK. All right. Confirmed. There, there you go. So, uh, yeah, it's Grace's baby. I mean, or at least she said she's saying it's Grace's or I mean, I guess it is Grace's baby. She's saying it's Vic's baby, at least. <laughs> yes, <laughs> true. <laughs> but yeah, so he kisses Grace and uh, then Rita kind of storms out again and Goldblum goes to meet her outside. Turns out this was the plan the whole time. <laughs> What a smooth <laughs> operator. Yes, absolutely. Goldblum is one step ahead of everyone else. Uh, so, you know, he and Rita are kind of walking away and, you know, Rita's like, that stuff you said to me all the, uh, the past few days, was it all bullshit? Goldblum's like, uh, that wasn't all bullshit. And it's like, bullshit. It was all bullshit. And they make out. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it's like, why'd you slap uh, me so hard? All that stuff. And then as they're leaving, it kind of ends on like it keeps like transitioning back to Vic and uh, Grace. Uh, mm. And it keeps like kind of cutting back. Like the editing is so weird and so quick. And it's like, you know, it's kind of doing quick close ups, like closer and closer shots of Vic's eye. Yeah. Uh, and it's like transitioning from like one. I also forgot to mention there's like a weird transition thing where like it'll fade to like a different color every time like time passes. Yes. Um, so like the, the image will like, you know, just kind of fade out and suddenly it'll be all green for a second and then it'll continue with the movie. And then like a few minutes later, it'll fade out and it'll be all purple for a second and then it'll just continue with the movie. <laughs> yeah, I kind of forgot about that. I wonder how that ties into like the cosmic, uh, you know, connection to this movie. Mm. But yeah, there's a lot of like, you know, I felt like kind of Western trope editing stuff because there is a lot of standoffs and stuff like that where it's like dolly zooms close ups on people's eyes and fingers and stuff like that that this movie i guess is you know makes sense while they're deploying all those things that was a weird editing i did notice that like kind of stutter close-up thing to Vic's eyes to end the movie. Yeah, definitely. That was a, a really strange one for sure. And so, yeah, they, they kind of end on Vic's eye as Goldblum and Rita are leaving. And then that's the end of the movie. You get the, uh, the predator credits, a swing music plays and you're jamming along. Yeah. <laughs> get to see all the people, which is always fun. And then you can confirm that. Yes, that was Billy Idol in the movie. That was Rob Reiner <laughs> exactly. in the movie. <laughs> Uh, and so many other weird cameos that uh, popped up. So that is Mad Dog Time, which uh, is certainly a motion picture. <laughs> it absolutely is. I mean, I feel like a lot of times with these episodes where it's like, I don't know if I like this movie or not. You kind of talk me into it. But while I'm watching the movie, nah, <laughs> you know, <laughs> I think when I talk about it, like fair. an individual scene or individual moment, I'm like, this is actually pretty cool. But then when you put it together in a 90 minute uh, thing where I have to sit through the whole thing. I'm like, nah, I'm good. 
Yeah, that's fair. I mean, I, I found a lot to like about this movie uh, and I didn't expect to. And it might be because of those low expectations going into it where I was like, OK, Cisco and Eber called this the worst movie of the year. I didn't like Hellride all that much. So, uh, yeah, we'll see how this goes. And I was pleasantly surprised by how much I enjoyed just kind of losing myself into this weird gangstery other side of the cosmos world. Uh, so there's that. But yeah, that's Mad Dog Time. Uh, and it's a hard movie to find right now. It is available on Tubi TV if Tubi. anybody wants to watch it there. Yeah, which I know you have refused to download Tubi on several occasions, Mike. I, yeah, uh, I, I don't know. I don't where, really know It's where you draw the line, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's just going to become a bit now and I'll just never get it. <laughs> yeah, it's fair. Totally fair. All right, so uh, let's move on to some letterboxed reviews for Mad Dog Time. First, we got to hear one from our friend, the poetic critic, who uh, also did not like the movie that much, gave it two stars and said, in oddity, this film turns out to be. It has the where, the what, the when, the how, the why, but not the who, far as I see. These are just people doing things, low brow and low down. All are tough. Some lose, some win, and not much more than that. I sense no stakes. Was I supposed to know those going in? It looks good, isn't painful, but it fakes being substantial. There are barely laughs. And isn't this a comedy? I see how this drove Ebert crazy with such gaffes. But with these actors, I just let it be. Indeed, if Goldblum didn't charm me so, I would be crueler to this shabby show. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, once again, I find myself in alignment with the poetic critic. <laughs> that is a good one right there. That's one of the, I think that's one of the best poems we've uh, we've gotten so far. Yes. Uh, and th- that is, uh, I believe, a sonnet, actually. Uh, just throwing that out there. Um, but uh, all right. So that's the poetic critics review. Uh, here's a one star review from Polybird, which says uh, I would watch a three hour heart of darkness documentary on Netflix about how this got made, <laughs> uh, which. Hundred percent. I would love to see that. That sounds great. Yep. Here's a one and a half star review from Galactroid. What does this film have in common with Happy Feet? If you guessed an opening sequence with a completely pointless outer space motif, congrats, you win a Jolly Rancher. Uh, <laughs> which I forgot that Happy Feet starts that way. Haven't seen that in a long time. Wow. I will admit that Roger Ebert's scathing review is what piqued my interest here, as it did for a lot of people here, judging by the amount of name dropping, which I. A Galactroid is right. If you look through the letterbox reviews, almost all of them are like, yes, yeah, so Ebert hates this movie. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> of course, while everyone loves to play contrarian where Ebert is concerned, the man was on the money with this one. A few other things to any film bros calling this mess Lynchian. One, no, it fucking isn't. <laughs> two, two, Lynchian does not preclude simply being surrealist. Calling something Lynchian just because it's surreal is like calling a story Kafka-esque just because it's weird. They both show that the term dropper knows little about either. And three, Nothing about this damn movie is remotely surrealist. If anything, it's making a desperate grasp at absurdism with a pinch of art house pretension. It fails at both miserably. What the hell was this trying to be anyway? Not remotely funny enough to be a comedy and not at all engaging enough to be a straight drama. And damn. again, I, I found more to like about this than uh, than most. I have I have tried to avoid using the word Lynchian in recent months. I feel like uh, I'm trying to yeah. move move past that. You know, there's definitely become a film Twitter dunking on the term Lynchian vibe yeah. <laughs> lately <laughs> because because it did become one of those words that everybody anybody would use to be like oh this is weird it must be lynchy yeah. <laughs> like it's it's as if it was david lynch and i think the thing that really uh dropped me off of lynchy and all together was that uh there was a review of wandavision that came out recently and what well, <laughs> i i'm really I'm really enjoying WandaVision. I'm really liking the show. Uh, but, you know, somebody in their review said like, oh, it has shades of David Lynch. And I'm like, it's a Marvel thing. It doesn't have shades of David Lynch. <laughs> There's no way 
<laughs> that it has. And, you know, again, I'm really enjoying WandaVision. I, I, I have no ill will against that show. I think it's one of the better Marvel things in recent years. But like eh, Lynchian is not the word I would use to describe it. Uh, yeah. Anyway, here's a four star review from Matt H, which reads truly Lynchian. <laughs> <laughs> In the sense that it features an upsetting cameo from near-death Richard Pryor. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Uh, yeah, which there you go. Like I said, Richard Pryor was in Lost Highway, which uh, I've actually not seen Lost Highway, but I just bought the Kino Lorber Blu-ray of it. Uh, nice. So I'm looking forward to uh, watching that at some point, and then I'll finally get that reference. Uh, <laughs> but all right. So that, I think, is going to bring us to the end of our Mad Dog Time <laughs> review. Final thoughts on the movie, Mike? Um, there was one more. I just want to mention letterbox review because I happened to take a peek at it and it was the first yeah. one on the list. That was a 0.5 star review that just said, I am literally begging you not to watch this movie. Uh, <laughs> and that's hilarious. Um, yes. So my final thoughts overall, like, eh, whatever, it's fine. I guess I think there's, there's some stuff that's fun and interesting and weird, particularly Gabriel Byrne, who at turn in equal parts was like annoying but also a lot of fun, uh, which is most of this movie. Like we said, it kind of walks that line or I said yeah. that it walks that line between very grating and just interestingly strange. Uh, and I feel like I come <laughs> down more on the grating side, most of this movie. So, uh, you know, take it or leave it. If you feel like you can find it somehow, go ahead. I guess if you're, you know, you want to just experience, you want to be a completionist. Go ahead. Otherwise, y- you can skip Mad Dog time. All right. Fair enough. Uh, I mean, I again, I found more to enjoy about this movie than uh, it seems like most people ever have. Uh, <laughs> but uh, I, I will say I think it's a really weird, just a strange vision, I guess. Like, you know, just yeah. a, a singular work uh, from a filmmaker that, uh, you know, is very much informed by his upbringing, being the son of one of the guys in the Rat Pack and also kind of just being at this point in time right after Pulp Fiction came out, a lot of Tarantino in this, a lot of Lynch, a lot of uh, Coen brothers, like ripping off all that kind of stuff. So yeah, that is <laughs> mad dog time. I just got <laughs> shades. I don't think it comes quite to this level, but a shades of deadfall. It just like gilded lobster claws mm. and melted faces. Uh, like it all just, and I just got a flash. Oh man. Do I like <laughs> this movie dead, now? Deadfall was a wild time. I will say I, as far as deadfall goes, I think this is a more interesting movie than deadfall, but it does not have a performance that's as insane as Nicolas Cage in deadfall. Right. Correct. So <laughs> that's, that's where I would go uh, with this one. And uh, yeah, and who knows, maybe one day there'll be a sequel to this movie starring John Cusack and Adrian <laughs> Grenier. <laughs> if we could be so lucky. That's a- that's a deep cut Nicolas Cage joke for uh, for people out there. You're uh, all right. And that's going to uh, bring us to the end of this week's episode. Mike, where can we find you online this week? You can find me at MD Film Blog on Twitter and Letterboxd. And you can find me online at uh, M Smith Film Blog on Twitter, Mike Smith Film on Letterboxd and Radio Mike Sandwich on Instagram. Thanks so much for listening to the complete works. Don't forget to rate and review the show on Apple podcasts or any other podcast app. And if you want to contact us, hit us up at Jeff Goldblum, complete works at gmail.com. And you can find the rest of our podcast on rapture press alongside the totally original geek news podcast, which is a podcast about comic books and movie news and all that nerdy stuff. And you can follow this podcast on Twitter at Goldblum pod. Our theme song was created by Kyle Cullen, who you can reach for your own podcast themes at Kyle's podcast themes at gmail.com. And our logo was designed by Jacob Honeycutt or at Jacob Honey on Twitter. Uh, join us next week on The Complete Works. We we are turning to Island Nublar as Goldblum <laughs> takes center stage in one of uh, Mike DeCrecio's favorites. It's the Lost World Jurassic Park. We finally made it. Yes, absolutely. I am, uh, I'm excited about this one because I think we've talked about this in this podcast before. Uh, I have watched the Lost World Jurassic Park once 
uh, <laughs> when oh, I was boy. in college. And uh, this is like literally a movie that you've seen like dozens of times, right, Mike? <laughs> yes, absolutely. I am terrified for next episode. <laughs> It's my entire uh, backstory as a human. <laughs> my entire life story is going to just collapse. <laughs> my entire life was completely defined by the Lost World Jurassic Park. If it's somehow bad now, I will <laughs> yeah, I'll be just shattered. shrivel up into a corn cob. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> All right. So that's going to be next week. Very excited to uh, dig into that one and see uh, how Goldblum fares in Jurassic Park 2. And keep listening for our bonus episodes of Mike Might Go to the Movies, where this week, we're ranking our favorite winter movies, our favorite mm-hmm. snowy times. I feel like we need an actual title for that episode. Snowbound. That's the real word. OK, yes. Yeah, snowbound. I like that. Yeah, our favorite snowbound films. OK, so that's going to be uh, what's happening this week uh, because Mike is a uh, snowbound himself. He's stuck in the yes. snowstorm in New York. I'm going uh, so, yeah. a method on this episode. Exactly. <laughs> you also did a shitload of preparation for this one, too, which I am excited to uh, dig into when we record that episode in just a couple of minutes. Uh, <laughs> otherwise, we will uh, catch you guys next week. Thanks so much for listening, guys. And remember to go for the gold bloom. Yeah, I think, too. Um, oh, no. Even talking about this movie gets Uh, you sleepy. Yeah. (laughs)